Good morning. Let's open in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us together, that we can encourage each other, that we can share with each other how you work individually in each of our lives and how you're always there for us. Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit be with us today and that the lessons to be learned today become part of our everyday lives. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship our Lord. Have anybody here turned on their TV and seen its gloom and doom? The Lord's devotional today is going to transfer your thoughts to something different. The Bible is true. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Psalms 119.89. As we survey the world seen in the Bible, with the Bible in hand, we do not worship an absentee God. He is standing in the shadows of history, still working to bring his plans to completion. Therefore, we are not disturbed by the pictures of chaos, violence, bloodshed, and war that fill our television screens and flood our newspapers. We know these things are consequences of humanity's evil and sin caused by our rebellion against God. Every headline, every news report confirms that the prophet Jeremiah was saying centuries ago, the heart is deceitful and above all things desperately wicked. Who could know it? But never forget, God will speak history's final word. Every day the world moves closer to the time when Christ shall return, Satan will be defeated, and God's perfect plan will be fulfilled. No matter how foreboding the future, the Christians know the end to the story, and it's glorious. Don't lose heart. The best is yet to be. And the hope for today, multiple news outlets and social media cause us to be inundated with all the evils of the world. Satan would like us to feel like the world is out of control. But it isn't true. God has not relinquished control of his creation.
scripture today comes from Genesis 28 verses 10 through 19. Meanwhile Jacob left Bathsheba and traveled to Haran. At sundown he arrived at a good place and set up camp and stopped there for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and lay down in sleep. As he slept he dreamed of a staircase that reached from earth to heaven, and he saw the angels of God going up and down the staircase. At the top of the staircase stood the Lord. He said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather and the God of your father Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I am giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be numerous as the dust on the earth. They will spread out in all directions, to the west and the east, to the north and the south, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, I, I am with you, and I will protect you wherever you go. One day, I will bring you back to this land I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I wasn't even aware of it. But he was also afraid. What an awesome place this is. It is none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. The next morning, Jacob got up very early. He took the stone he had rested his head against, and he set it upright as a memorial pillar. Then he poured olive oil over it. He named the place Bethel, which means house of God. 
We say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. There's a quiet understanding. There's a quiet understanding when we're gathered in the Spirit. It's a promise that He gives us when we gather in His name. There's a love we feel in Jesus. There's a Testament reading today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, verses 24 through 30, and then uh, 36 through 43. Here's another story Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night, as the workers slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat, then slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted the good seed is full of weeds. Where did it come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull out the weeds, they asked. No, he replied. You'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let both grow together until the harvest. Then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles, and burn them to put the wheat, and to put the wheat in the barn. Then, leaving the crowds outside, Jesus went into the house. His disciples said, please explain to us the story of the weeds in the field. And Jesus replied, the son of man is the farmer who plants the good seed. The field is the world, and the good seed represents the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people who belong to the evil one. 
The enemy who planted the weeds among the wheat is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world and the harvesters are the angels. Just as the weeds are sorted out and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the world. The Son of Man will send his angels and they will remove from his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace where they will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. If you take your bulletin, we have a responsive reading. Risen and ascended Christ, you surround us with witnesses and send us the counselor who opens our minds to understanding your teaching. Bless us with such grace that our lives may become a blessing for the world now and in the age to come. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, the gifts that we give back Although we're not taking a specific collection, if someone wants to drop in the box in the back, that's fine. Or if they want to send in, Lord, you still have us giving all the time. Have us give and share to show your love, the love that you have taught us, how, how it is that those that are, have been blessed can bless others as well. So, Lord, as your son has blessed us by forgiving his life, let us bless others by sharing your word. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm asking the Lord this morning for a paradigm shift in our thinking about who Jesus is. title of my sermon this morning is God and Man, the Humanity of Christ. Join me in prayer if you would. Father, we thank you for the awesome privilege to join together in the fellowship. Uh, in our wildest dreams, I don't think any of us, had, uh, certainly not a generation ago, would have thought that there would come a time that we would be restricted from the fellowship of church. But Father, remind us that church is not what we do on Sunday. Worship is not what we do on Sunday. Worship is 24-7. It's how we live our lives before you. It's how we shine our light to those in darkness. We thank you for your great grace. And I pray, Father, this morning that uh, you would anoint your word. I am just your microphone. Speak through me the truth that you wish to impart to these good people this morning. And Father, I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. My main text is Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. 
and I was just overjoyed to see this good woman in, in front of me here has a large copy of the Message Bible this morning. <clears throat> My favorite translation. He had equal status with God, but did not think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity. We're going to focus on this passage. He set aside the privileges of deity. We must understand this to understand Christ's ministry on this earth. And took on the status of a slave, became human. Think about that a moment. Your almighty God. And you take on flesh, determined to live as a human being. That's the status of a slave, especially when you're almighty, omnipotent God. Having become human, he stayed human. This is another phrase we're going to concentrate on this morning. We've got to understand that at the ascension of Christ Jesus... He ascended in flesh, and he will be flesh for all eternity. Why is that important? Identification. Our God loves us so much that he will remain in flesh for eternity. He so identifies with his creation. He did not claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. I'm sad to say that the American church has become long on entertainment and short on doctrine. Long on style and short on substance big on programs and small on worship. Seeker-friendly rather than God-honoring. The last thing we want is for someone to label our church as seeker-friendly. The reason I say that if you understand the seeker-friendly movement and where it began, that's not a moniker we want. Seeker-friendly, the father of seeker-friendly, Crystal Cathedral, Robert Schuller. What is seeker-friendly? It's watering down the gospel so that it appeals to the masses. We don't want that label. We're going long this morning on doctrine and substance and big on God-honoring worship. From the Westminster Catechism, and I've read your bylaws, I understand that there are portions of the Westminster Catechism that uh, the Cumberlands don't necessarily agree with, um, predestination, and so on. But they're, um, all in all, the Westminster Catechism is a brilliant exegesis on the humanity of Christ. Question number 25, who is the redeemer 
of God's elect? The answer. The only redeemer of God's elect is the Lord Jesus Christ, who being the eternal Son of God became a man and so was and continues to be God and man in two distinct natures and one person forever. Forever. He who presently sits at the right hand of God sits there in glorified flesh. That encourages my heart. I hope it encourages yours. Galatians 3.13 from the NIV Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. That's from Deuteronomy 21. 1 Timothy 2.5 from the ESV. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. The man. Christ Jesus. 1 Timothy 3.16 from the message. This Christian life is a great mystery, far exceeding our understanding, but some things are clear enough. He, Jesus, appeared in a human body, was proved right by the invisible spirit, was seen by angels. He was proclaimed among all kinds of peoples, believed in all over the world, and taken up into heavenly glory. Footnote. Taken up to heavenly glory in a human body. John 1.14 from the NLT. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. I love this scripture in the message. The word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. If you've never read Max Lucado's Next Door Savior, I strongly encourage you to do so. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. Colossians 2, verse 9, from the NLT. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. I want to ask you a question this morning. Can you attain to that? The fullness of God in your human body. I'm not going to ask you to answer that now. We'll revisit that question. From C.S. Lewis, I seldom meet any strong sense of the continued, never-to-be-abandoned humanity of Christ in eternity. Flesh in eternity. We stress his humanity too exclusively at Christmas and his deity too exclusively after the resurrection. Almost as if Christ once became a man and then reverted to being simply God. 
forgive me for oversimplifying, but Jesus on this earth never once put on his super suit. Never once. We're talking paradigm shift this morning. We think of the resurrection and ascension as great acts of God, and rightly so, but less often as the triumph of man. Jesus ascending to heaven in flesh is the triumph of mankind. John 20, 20 from the New Living Translation Study Bible. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. The reality of Jesus' resurrection was quite clear. Showing the disciples his scars, he proved that he did not feign death, but conquered it. He was no phantom, but a real man with a real body. He had been dead and was now alive, fully human in both life and resurrection. In Luke chapter 24, you might remember in Luke's account of this event, Jesus asked them after he introduced himself, Do you have any fish? I'm hungry. And he ate that fish in front of them to prove he was not a phantom. Jesus, our very human high priest. For we do not have a priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet without sin. That's Hebrews 4.15 in the ESV. In every respect, as human as you and me. Swallow hard. Get that from here down to here. Hebrews 2, verse 17 from the NIV. For this reason, he, Jesus, had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Merciful. Think of the word empathy. I lost twins. In 1977, uh, they died within minutes of their birth. And uh, <clears throat> that has given me a certain empathy for those who have lost children, especially infant children. You cannot fully comprehend a person's grief unless you've suffered that particular grief. in order that he might become merciful. He had to be made like them, fully human in every way. It's really tough for us to grab a hold of that. Fully human, just like you, just like me. 
how else could he fully comprehend our pain and our suffering? How often do we contemplate the humanity of, of Christ in Scripture? We have this mindset that performing all those miracles, the Via Dolorosa, after being beaten beyond recognition as a human being, that's from Isaiah, beaten beyond recognition as a human being. God bless Mel Gibson. He got it right in the Passion of the Christ. Christ was bloodied from head to toe after they ripped all the flesh off his back and his shoulders and his arms and his legs, they rolled him over so that they could repeat the same to the front of his torso and legs and arms. Beaten beyond recognition as a human being. Then you carry your cross all the way to Golgotha. Did he put on his super suit? No. He did that as a human being. Yes, indeed, he could have called 10,000 angels, but he did not. He suffered that in the same human strength that you and I have, the difference being that perfect connection to Father God through the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit power. He did not put on his super suit. How often do we contemplate why he put on flesh? The perfect sacrifice has to have suffered perfectly. From E.H. Peterson, my favorite theologian, God gets down on his knees among us, gets on our level and shares himself with us. He does not reside afar off and send diplomatic messages. He kneels among us. That posture is characteristic of God. Jesus washing the disciples' feet on his knees, kneeling before those whom he loved, washing their feet. That posture is characteristic of God. In Philippians 2, verse 6, the King James, I'm sorry, misses it by a mile. He made himself of no reputation. Mm. Now, Shakespearean English just doesn't cut it here. He had equal status with God, but did not think so much of himself. He had clinged to that status. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity. The Greek word there is kenao. The doctrine is called kenosis, but the Greek word here is kenao. It means to empty out. We're talking about Almighty God here. What did he empty out? 
It was an incredibly humbling process, yet he did not claim special privileges. He emptied himself out of what? He emptied himself of omnipotence, all-powerful. Luke 4.30. Jesus has uh, preached at um, his first sermon, Nazareth. He reads Isaiah and he says, this day, the scriptures are fulfilled in your midst. I am. Messiah. What was their reaction? Well, let's take him to the nearest hill and throw him off to his death. And it says, but passing through their midst, he went his way. Did he put on his super suit? Did Philip put on a super suit when he was translated after ministering to the Ethiopian eunuch? He was translated by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was translated by the power of the Holy Spirit. Did not put on his super suit. The Via Dolorosa. We just talked about that. He did not put on his super suit. Omniscience, all-knowing, he set aside that portion of his divinity remained always God always holy but he set aside omniscience Luke 8 the woman with the issue of blood who touched me I felt virtue I felt strength leave my person who touched me was he feigning he knew, but he was pretending he did not know. Nope. He had set aside his omniscience and was fully dependent on the Holy Spirit to tell him what's next. In the garden, was, he, he knew what was coming. Yes, he did. But not via omniscience. He was praying in the garden. And the Holy Spirit was telling him, here's what's coming. And by the way, if you've been told that Jesus wept great drops of blood because he was in angst about what he would suffer physically, Jesus sweat great drops of blood because it was the first time in all eternity he would be separated from Father God. That's for me, I'm busy. He sweat great drops of blood contemplating what it would be like to be separated from Father God. Omnipresence, everywhere present. He set that divine privilege aside. 
so he can live just like you and me. Excuse me, but he walked 90 miles to attend the wedding at Cana. He could have, could have put on his super suit, been there in a flash. Conservative estimate of how many miles Christ walked in his earthly ministry. Conservative estimate, 21,500 miles. You don't do that if you're exercising your omnipresence. And that's a good phrase. He chose not to exercise those three facets of his divinity. One of my favorite pastors, Matt Chandler, has, has made this statement and it, uh, it just resonates with me. He said, when you read the Gospels, it seems every other page, Jesus stole away to pray. Where's Jesus? Well, if there's a hill there, I'm sure he's up there praying. Seems every other page of the disciples were losing Jesus. Where'd he go? He's praying. Why? If you're God, why do you need to pray? If you've got omnipotence, omnipresence, omniscience, why do you need to pray? He was living just like you and me. And it was imperative every morning to start his day. Father, show me what you're doing in your world so I can join you. Same prayer you and I are supposed to be praying every morning. Father, what are you doing in your world? May I join you? Why did Jesus lay aside these divine attributes? So you and I can never say, you don't understand. You don't understand my pain. You don't understand my grief. You had your super suit on. John chapter 5, verses 19 through 20 from the NLT. The backstory: Jesus has just healed on the Sabbath. He has just called himself God's son. The Pharisees are livid. Jesus' own words, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. Kind of sounds like he's set aside some divine attributes, doesn't it? The Son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. 
Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. The Father loves the Son and shows Him everything that He, the Father, is doing. In fact, the Father will show me how to do even greater works. If you're omnipotent, do you need anyone to show you anything? I think not. The Father will show me how to do even greater works than these. I'm living as a human being, totally dependent on the Holy Spirit of the living God. Why? So you can never say you don't understand. The Father will show me how to do even greater works than healing this man. And then you will truly be astonished. Does this remind us of a certain scripture? Jesus speaking to you and me. You can do nothing without me. I am the vine, you are the branches. You can do nothing without me. Jesus is our example in how to serve God. We too must be totally dependent on the Holy Spirit. How do we serve God? We live on our knees. Jesus got up and walked around. He walked around 21,000 miles. But he never left his knees. Never left his knees. How do we serve God? We never leave our knees. Number two, we ask God to open our eyes and show us what he is doing in his world. What he's doing in this, his city. What he's doing in this, our neighborhood. Show us what you're doing, Lord. And allow us the privilege of joining you. Number three, we join the Father in what he's doing. We never, never ask, what can I do for you, Lord? He's already planned our entire life for us for creation. He's got a plan. He doesn't need us to ask him, what can I do for you, Lord? If you want to do him a favor, ask him, what are you doing, Lord? Take the scales off my eyes. Show me what you're doing so I can join you. John 14, verse 12 from the NLT. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. Jesus lived as an ordinary man, an ordinary man with perfect focus on God and thereby living on his knees obtained through prayer the power of the Holy Spirit to do all the marvelous wonders and miracles recorded in the Gospels. Paradigm shift. Paradigm shift. 
God didn't just put on a suit of flesh and continue to be almighty God. He set aside three of his most potent three of his most potent powers omnipotence, omniscience everywhere present so he could teach us how to live before God if we continue to excuse our anemic witness and ministry by saying, but Jesus was God in the flesh. Superman. Of course he could do miracles. Of course he could be beaten beyond recognition as a human being and still carry his cross up Golgotha. Then we'll never see the miracles we wish to see. We'll never see the signs and wonders because we will have totally missed the purpose of Jesus' life and resurrection. And what was that? That purpose was to show us how to seek and find the Holy Spirit power to replicate his life. I love that song by Rich Mullins, Little Keepers of the Promise. Little Keepers of the Promise. Little Jesuses. That's who we're called to be. To replicate the life of Christ. John 10.10. 10. The words of Christ. I have come that all who believe in me may have life to the full. Love the message translation again. I have come that they may have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. Colossians 2.9, once again, from the NLT. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. Can you have this? Yes, amen. You can have this. You can have the fullness of God. What's it require? Emptying yourself completely of self. That's Jesus' example. Emptying himself completely of self. and allowing yourself to be filled with Holy Spirit power, you can turn the world upside down for Christ. It's been done. We can do it again. We are to replicate the life and ministry of Christ. Lord, help us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will enrich our hearts with this truth. Forgive us, Lord, that for many of us, I know I spent decades believing that Jesus, the Jesus of Scripture, never stopped being God for a moment.
And that's very true. You did not stop being God for one moment. You never stopped being holy. You never stopped being creator God of the universe. But you did set aside privileges so that we could see how a man totally focused on God could turn the world upside down for the truth of your word. You never stop being God for a moment. Never set your holiness aside. Never set your dedication to the Father aside. Never stop loving your people as Creator God. But you did take off your supersuit so that we could be assured that you've suffered everything any of us have ever suffered. That you know full well our pain. You know full well our weakness. And what you are trying to teach us is to live on our knees and seek all our strength from the Holy Spirit of the living God. Pray that you will indelibly etch this truth on our hearts. Help us understand that our high priest he paid it all he suffered it all he has complete empathy for us and is willing to give us his complete power if we'll just empty ourselves of self make it so father make it so in Jesus name amen is amazing grace.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your Son to be as, as a man while still being as a God, but to, but to live as a man, fully as a man, to feel and suffer as men do, so that he could be the perfect sacrifice. Lord, we thank you that you love us so much that you would do this for us and that your son trusts you so much that he too would follow your wishes. So Lord, let us follow his example. We ask that we be more like Christ every day. Mm -hmm. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.